good Thursday morning, everyone. I hope everyone's enjoying their day so far. Uh, me, myself, I'm just, uh, of course, as always, chilling on the couch um, with the FS1 on, listening to uh, Undisputed with Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp, talking about the sports news of the day. And I got my coffee here, just, you know, looking through some news. And I figured, you know, why not record and talk about some things? Um, First and foremost, if you haven't checked out uh, yesterday's episode, 73 and 74, where I talked about the good and somewhat bad, that was Double or Nothing, and I made some predictions for NXT TakeOver 25, uh, do not hesitate to check those episodes out, uh, and let me know what you think about them. Um, let's keep the conversation going, um, and you can post it on my social media, at SwedeSenatorWWI on Twitter and on Instagram, at Young underscore Lions underscore Perspective. But... Before I get into a couple of news articles, I wanted to talk about the Chaka's Jericho podcast once more, because I actually got a chance to listen to it um, last night before NXT and TakeOver's Go Home show. Uh, That was a really good episode of NXT, by the way, and we'll be talking about that today as well, along with NXT UK, uh, because it involved the women's championship between Tony Storm and Nina Samuels. But with the Chaka's Jericho podcast, I know we had spoken about it at length on the last episode of the podcast and I actually got a chance to listen to it and just hearing what Moxley was talking about and you know what led to his thought process of you know wanting to leave WWE the exact moment he left WWE um creative and how everything goes down with that um it was a very interesting hour and 38 minutes of the show and I knew that, you know, creative was such a pain in the ass, but hearing it from an actual person who was, you know, involved with the company and going going through what he had to go through, the hoops he had to jump through just to get certain things taken out or, you know, getting with a certain writer and having to try to figure out a new way of doing a promo without Vince McMahon knowing one line in particular... It made my blood boil. It made me really angry. Not just at not the writers, because now I'm at the point where with creative with the creative writing team, they have they're they're not at fault anymore. I'm not gonna put them in fault for much of anything anymore. Because you gotta think with everything that goes on in WWE on a week-to-week basis, Vince McMahon pretty much, you know, fucked over moxley so hard and it really gave me a little bit more perspective no pun intended on how things go down with the show um what really kind of upset me a little bit is that that moxley was talking about you know how handcuffed he was in wwe and that's how i interpreted it he was very handcuffed in terms of promos um one part in particular that really shocked me and I think Jericho and Jericho did agree with is that it got to a point where he he stated that when it came to Monday he was in a bit of a depression you know he got up and pretty much didn't want to get out of bed you know he knew that when Monday rolled around he wasn't 
like himself. He wasn't feeling it. He just was just there. It felt like he was just there to be there. Um, one part of it was when he woke up one morning. Uh, he woke up, checked his text messages, and he saw that um, he was going to do the promo where he was getting a shot in the ass. And he didn't like that one fucking bit. I think, he, I think it was along the lines of, are you fucking kidding me? Like he was not happy with what he was going to be doing on that particular Monday. And when he got to the arena, since it was in the West Coast, everybody knew, you know, Moxley was already frustrated with what he was going to be doing with that. And if you if you've seen that promo with the doctor um, and him, you know, just having to deal with the uh, shot in the ass and all that. That was really frustrating for him. All that he had to go through just to get a particular line taken out. So Vince McMahon didn't see the promo before the pooper scooper line. You know, certain things he saw in promos that was was going to be written for him. That really upset him. And just everything he had gone through from July 2018 when he had the triceps injury and that he was going to be out. Because he, was supposed, he said he was supposed to be out for four months. Then it turned to six. But then he got a staph infection in his tricep. Had to get that cleaned up. And then he was out for another three after that. It really, really upset me knowing that... He... Was dealing with such bullshit creative. You know, because this was a man who... You know, he said he knew, he even stated he knew how to talk. He knew how to talk people into the building. He knew how to get a reaction out of people. And it felt like he was just shackled. And within that system, it really, it really, he really wasn't able to be as creative as he wanted to be. Oh, you want to go up on the couch? Good. Good girl. And that is your obligatory Marley portion of the program, as always. Yeah, my dog was actually barking at something earlier. I don't know what the hell it was, but she was just mad at something. Anyway. It, it really upset me, knowing that this is how creative works in WWE. And that he has, Vince, he even stated, you know, even with, you know, the writing team, you know, having their home base in Stanford and then having this whole crew of writers before you can get to Vince McMahon and just hearing and, and the word I, I'm saying a lot with this is it's just pure frustration. He, you know, when he got to a point where he was just depressed and frustrated with the with everything, the whole Roman promo where he was talking about, you know, there was one particular line he just didn't he would not dare say because he felt like he was the company was going to lose sponsors. And he had a feeling that Vince McMahon had written that promo for him and he wasn't willing to do it, you know, especially if it was like, you know, the Sujin Shi Komen Foundation. Like, how crazy is that, that, you know, there was a particular promo that if he had cut that line and said that line in the promo, he didn't say it on the podcast. I can tell you that right now. Uh, but knowing that if he had said that line, they would lose so many sponsors off of it, especially during a Roman Reigns leukemia situation. And that just went down before he had cut the promo. It shows that Vince McMahon really doesn't get it anymore. 
And the one hope, and I really, the one line I really respected and really enjoyed and thoroughly was cool with was when he said, you know, in terms of him being now in AEW, is that hopefully one day what they do in AEW is that, you know, that they change the system up. Is that what they can do is just, you know, I guess in a, in a way challenge WWE to actually be better creatively. And hopefully that does happen for them one day. And I do hope the same thing. You know, with AEW, they're not scripting their promos. They're allowing talent to actually get over on their own volition, on their own, you know, accord, if you will. And that's the that's the really the most disheartening thing that shocked me the most is that, you know, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna keep saying this word because if because it really does feel this way. He was thoroughly handcuffed. It's great. I mean, with the talent that you have in WWE and the ways that talent can get over on their own organically, and then Vince McMahon shutting it down because it wasn't on his on his account. He wasn't the one that got him over. You know, we've already basically Moxley was saying what we already knew. It just it was just in a different light that he had put it in because it was just through his own thing. And even Jericho had his own stories about that as well. You know, with the whole Kevin Owens deal, you know, people were saying, you know, why are you leaving? This this feud is so hot. And it was like, I can't do it. You know, even with Cody Rhodes, uh, he had talked about Cody Rhodes saying, you you know, we went through the same things just at different times. But he went through the same thing that Moxley did. And that's something they can truly relate on is that they went through the same WWE system and there are certain things that they wanted to do, they couldn't. And that was, that made me really upset. And I highly recommend you check out this episode of Talk is Jericho podcast. It's 98 minutes, hour 38 minutes long. It's definitely worth the listen. I really wanted to listen to it because I saw... Um, Certain people on Twitter that I follow, uh, Sledgehammer TV, JD from NY206, they were really talking about it, and they were ups- just as upset as I was. You know, we knew, like I said, we knew that Raw and, and SmackDown Live creatively was dog shit, and this really confirmed it from Moxley's point of view. So, if you do get a chance today or any other, you know, any other days coming up, definitely give it a listen. And if you're really a f- uh, a person who is frustrated with WWE with what they've been doing as of late creatively, this will make you even more pissed off. But it will give you a true perspective on what just a, just one person had to go through just to get a particular promo changed. It was it, it was really eye opening for me, and I was very shocked to hear what Moxley had to say in a good way, though. It just confirmed what we knew. But getting into a couple of news articles. From this past week so far. And I told you yesterday I wanted to talk about the ratings. And, and it didn't pop up until this morning. I actually woke up. Had to do some uh, to do some things. Cook breakfast and all that. But I finally, 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 finally got news. On the, on the Raw rating. Now we, you know, I didn't watch Raw on Monday. I haven't watched Raw since the first initial week of the Superstar Shakeup. The week after the Shakeup became official. I haven't watched it since. Because it was literally that much of a joke. Right after they introduced the wild card rule, which, was, which I think is still a joke in and of itself. Because you did a superstar shakeup, you had certain stars go to certain brands, and all of a sudden you're now having 
Raw and SmackDown superstars go to each other's brands for no legitimate reason at all. But let's get into the article. This is from WrestlingInc.com, written by Mark Middleton. And this this headline made me laugh and smile because I knew it was going to be a shit show and it was going to be that much of a shit show. So, WWE Raw averages second lowest viewership of the year for Memorial Day episode. <laughs> what? Holiday shows are always trash. They never give you anything in terms of storyline continuity. And what we had on Monday night was a literally the first full hour was just full of promos. Um, Brock never announcing who he was going to cash in on, uh, which is, I think it was uh, honestly a smart move on their part. Um, but, and then Shane McMahon versus Lance Anna Y that was trash. And I'm not surprised that, you know, they got this particular rating. So, Let's get into this article real quick. Monday's Memorial Day edition of WWE Raw featuring WWE Universal Champion Seth Rollins defeating Sami Zayn in the main event drew an average of... I'll let you make your guesses in one sec for a minute. I'll give you about 5-10 seconds to give your guesses as to what you think that average was. Unless you read the article already, you already know, but I'm going to let you let read a guess in your head. You ready? According to Showbuzz Daily, Drew an average of 2.19 million viewers. I'm going to say that again. Drew an average of 2.19 million viewers. This proclaiming the second lowest rating of 2019. This is down from 13% from last week's 2.521 million viewers from the post Monday money in the bank episode and the second lowest audience of 2019 to compare it was down 12.2 percent from the 2.494 million viewers for the 2018 memorial day show which at the time was a new low for the year 2017 memorial day show averaged 2.61 million viewers which was also a new low for 2017 at that point The 2016 Memorial Day edition of Raw averaged 3.229 million viewers. So basically, basically, every year since 2017, when a Memorial Day show came around, they've literally had a new fucking low. Maybe, Vince McMahon, maybe you should just cancel Raw for a night for, for Memorial Day and just not do it anymore. Because now your product is on Memorial Day without fail, which proves once again for the third year in a row, it is a trash episode. For this week's show, the first hour drew 2.265 million viewers, with last week's hour one at 2.681 million. The second hour drew 2.254 million viewers, with last week's hour two being 2.583. And the final hour, which is pretty much the drop off, period. Where a lot of fan, where a lot of people just say fuck it, and just stop giving a fuck about the show, drew 2.051 million viewers with last week's hour three drawing a 2.299. This ends a three-week viewership increase for the WWE's Red Brand show. Raw topped the night at number one on the cable top 150, 18 to 49 demographic, and in viewership. 
Bachelorette on ABC drew 4.666 million viewers on the broadcast TV in the 8 p.m. hour, while The Neighborhood drew 3.668 million viewers on CBS. The NHL drew 5.251 million viewers on NBC. Beat Shazam drew 2.431 million viewers on Fox. And CW's Howie Mandel Show, I didn't even know that was a thing, drew 935,000 viewers, all in the 8 p.m. hour on broadcast TV. And then they actually have the... Um... Viewership tracker. So this is so this is from January seventh till now. So January seventh, two point three three two four. The fourteenth, two point seven two two. January twenty first, two point four six. Two point seven oh three, which was the post Royal Rumble episode. Two point five one two four six two seven seven, which was the post Elimination Chamber episode. Two nine two two seven eight two eight two. That was the that was the March 11th post Fastlane episode. Then we go on to 2.6 2.7. We'll just round up 2.6 million for the March 25th. 2.6 on April 1st. The post 35 WrestleMania 35 episode drew 2.92, uh, 2.665 million, 2.37, and then April 29th is their lowest of the year so far with a 2.158, and then we had 2.24, 2.35. 2.51, which was the post Money in the Bank episode. The week prior was the taped episode from London. And then we have 2.19 million viewers for this past Monday night's episode. To say I'm not surprised it was this low is, is not a statement I would actually say out loud. Personally. But I'm not fucking surprised that what they did on Monday, which was supposed to be a true response episode to AEW's Double or Nothing, it failed. The mind of Vince McMahon, once again, rearing its ugly head. You cannot have go 51 minutes and expect fans to stick around. I'm surprised the, sec- the, the drop from the first to the second wasn't even that huge. It was like a hundred thousand. I think fans got pissed off to a point once it hit the third hour because that third hour is a fucking joke, and it dropped to two point zero five one. It's just making it more clear every single time we talk about ratings, and when I see news of you know second lowest, lowest of the year. With the April 29th episode, you know, being the lowest of the year, the, the lowest um, non-football episode, you know, being the lowest it's ever been for 2019. I honestly believe that as we head into the summer months, we're now heading into June, um, this coming Monday, The Undertaker is supposed to be there, you know, because it's their go-home show before Super Showdown. I'm sure that will garner some ratings. But what happens after Super Showdown when they have to look towards, you know, book towards uh, WWE stomping grounds, which I think is a fucking waste of a pay-per-view. And I hope it has 2016 Battleground vibes written all over it. It's only going to make the case that, you know, fans, if, if after Super Showdown, if the show sucks, and I have a strange feeling that it will, because I, I think last year, uh, when we had Crown Jewel, I hated it. I honestly hated it. You know, 
the one time Braun Strowman was supposed to win the, uh, the Universal Championship, they gave it right back to Brock, and we right, went right back at square one. And I have a strange feeling that we may go back to square one with Brock Lesnar becoming Universal Champion again. But my mind still tells me that my my gut still tells me that he's gonna cash in on Kofi. Even though there, even though we did talk about a report stating that you know. Brock Lesnar was more than likely going to cash in on Seth and win back the Universal Championship. Okay, that last bit I, I actually just put it on my own. But it still wouldn't surprise me if Kofi got the was the one that got cashed in on. I still have that strange feeling that Kofi will get cashed in on, even though I did hear that, you know, they may keep a title on Kofi until SummerSlam. In which, at this case, um... There's a tweet from Kevin Castle that he and I had, uh, and Such Hammer TV can actually vouch for me on this one. I wish I still had the tweet. Um, that he stated that EC3 would be world champion by SummerSlam. <laughs> uh, if I can find the tweet, I will, because I plan on it. I will do some digging for sure on my, on my Twitter pages. I know that, you know, EC3 is not going to be world champion by SummerSlam. Let's get that one thing clear. And I w- and if you follow me on Twitter at SwitzEnergyWWI, be ready for that when SummerSlam time comes around because I'm keeping that super in the tuck. Don't tell anybody. But anyway, uh, this last article I want to get into before we talk about NXT and NXT UK. WWE, this is actually from uh, Ringside News, I believe. Yep, RingsideNews.com. WWE confiscates AEW in anti-Vince McMahon signs during SmackDown Live. This is written by H. Jenkins. This is actually from a couple days ago. WWE SmackDown Live was Tuesday night, but there were apparently some AEW fans in the audience. Last night's Raw was a real struggle at times because of the AEW chants and the fact that Sami Zayn name-dropped the new wrestling company live on air. From what I heard, that was actually scripted, which I don't believe for one fucking second. Security was busy during SmackDown Live on Tuesday night because they had to confiscate two signs from fans who paid good money to make sure their seats were in the camera's view. You aren't MJF and save us triple H signs were confiscated during SmackDown Live. The fact that MJF is already getting signs at WWE events is not only a great thing for his character, but it also shows that AEW already has at least one breakout star other than the obvious main event names on their roster. The You're Not MJF sign was directed at Shane McMahon, which was just perfect in so many ways. The Save Us Triple H sign was obviously a mention of a large section of fans hoping that Vince McMahon will hand over the reins of WWE's television shows to Triple H so the game can save the main roster. If you saw these signs in the crowd, then you didn't see them for long, because the camera cut away as soon as production realized what they said, and then they were soon taken after that. And that's the end of the article there, but... I did see those signs during the show, and I thoroughly laughed my ass off. This was like right, I saw the Triple H sign, and then before I went to bed, I actually saw the URMJM sign, and I lost my shit. This shouldn't be surprising to anyone in WWE that, you know, they're getting sick and tired of this type of programming. When you're averaging, you know, when you're getting 2.1s, 2.3s, 2.4s, you know, I think your highest, his highest was 2.9 of the year. Couldn't even hit 3 million. 
And especially now after Double or Nothing went down last weekend, did they expect anything less? Honestly, did they expect anything less? Vince McMahon is getting antsy. And the Save Us Triple H sign really does make sense because I've been a fan of, I've been a proponent of, you know, wanting Triple H to take over for Vince so he can actually do what he's been doing with Triple H, I was say Triple H, with NXT and NXT UK. He's been killing it and he's got to take over this Saturday night that I am for certain is going to blow away anything Vince McMahon is going to do with the Super Showdown next weekend. You know it. I know it. Triple H is the only person that can save WWE right now. Vince McMahon cannot do it. And this is just another sign of fans being frustrated, being pissed off, knowing that Vince McMahon is a 73-year-old senile old fuck who doesn't, who's allegedly a genius. Now, it was John Moxley's words, not mine. Even though he did say he was a genius. He is nowhere near a genius. Not even close. When you're, and I, I, I'm going to keep sounding like a broken record, but when you have a shitty, when you have crappy tag team divisions on both brands, when you have Daniel Bryan saying that SmackDown Live's tag team roster is a joke, he's not lying. When he's saying that, when you hear, you know, when the Raw tag team division is pretty much non-existent, and your tag team champions are Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins, and they're not even featured on your fucking show. Not even featured on the show. When the revival is getting buried week after week, when you had the club more than likely going to be leaving. Actually, they are going to be leaving because in September, I think their contracts are up and they're gone. Guarantee they're going to go to AEW. When you look at the women's divisions, and with the wild card rule, it doesn't make any sense. You know, you have a very deep roster on SmackDown Live, and you don't know what to do with them. And we've and I've been saying for a while, merge the divisions on both the tag team and the women's divisions. Make them both if you want to use that wild card rule, fuck a wild card rule. Have your tag team divisions and your women both featured on Raw and SmackDown. Make the tag team division relevant for the women. Make the women's make have one undisputed women's champion and create a new belt for it instead of creating a 24-7 championship that Elias won as his first championship. Yes, Elias' first championship in WWE was the 24-7 title. Not the Intercontinental Championship, not the United States Championship, the 24-7 title, which really shows you how much they really care about Elias. Because if they really cared enough, he would have been a mid-card champion at least once, maybe twice already. And then it got back on R-Truth. Because Roman Reigns helped him. AEW is putting fear into the heart of Vince McMahon. I'm going to keep saying it until everybody understands it. The fact that you're listening to me shows that you kind of have some... You do have some, you know, common sense. And... How frustrated, how hilarious is it that 
signs are being taken. I, I'm sure. I'm, I hope every in every city they go to on Raw and SmackDown from here on out, AEW signs just keep popping up. AEW chants just keep you know being told. This is awful, boring. And I know Vince McMahon is not going to do a damn thing to change the product, and he's going to keep it status quo. It is very, very, very disheartening to see WWE falter like this. Because we all know they're capable of so much better than what what they're given right now. It's It's really sad. It's so fucking sad to see that, you know... Fan signs are getting confiscated because of the competition. Well, maybe if your product was actually good, maybe fans wouldn't be bringing in AEW signs at all. You know, if that were the case, maybe, you know, if you if you actually booked your talent correctly, booked your champions properly, and actually gave a damn about what you're putting on for five hours a week, maybe you wouldn't be getting 2.15 ratings for your shows. Maybe you wouldn't be getting, you know, two, you know, the second worst viewership of the year. I don't care if it was on a Memorial Day. I don't care if it was three Mondays ago. What Vince McMahon is doing is once again showing us he doesn't give a fuck about what we have to say. He doesn't give a fuck about, you know, our frustration. He doesn't. All he cares about is what he wants. And there's nothing that myself, you, Stephanie, Shane, Paul, or anyone else in the WWE is going to do to change his mind. I, start, I, I talked about it a few, I'm about to say a couple weeks ago. Vince McMahon, even when the XFL begins next February, he's still going to be doing XFL and WWE. He's doing both. And that should frustrate you even more, knowing that even, even with the XFL that is going to take up, take up a lot of his time, he's still going to be doing WWE. This would have been the perfect time for Triple H to take over the reins and just have control over the entire main roster. But I think the reason he's not giving up his spot just to work on the XFL is that he, kn- I'm sure he knows. You know and I know. That if Triple H takes over the reins, that he will make it a better product than what he's got right now, and he can't have that. It's 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 just mind-boggling that a man who honestly had put on some of his best creations ever in, in the history of this in the sport that he is not even willing to give up the reins for just a football season because he know because he knows what we know that when Vince isn't there we all know the product will be better without him this is episode 75 of the young lions perspective and with that being said let us begin
going on, guys? Zach from the Wrestling with Issues Podcast here, and welcome to episode 75 of the Young Lions Perspective. So glad to have you guys here with me on this fine day, and I hope you're enjoying your day, your night, your afternoon, your evening, wherever you may be, wherever you are in the world. Thank you guys so much for checking out this episode of the podcast. I greatly and truly appreciate it, as always. And today, on the docket, NXT Review and NXT UK Review, and I'm really happy... It's always a happy day when I get to talk NXT and NXT UK, as most of y'all know. Y'all do know in my rankings of brands in WWE, I have NXT 1 and NXT UK right there at number 2. And SmackDown technically would be number 3, and Raw is literally down at 95. 4 through 90, you know, 4 was filled in with other things. Um, But this particular episode of NXT was the go-home episode for NXT before NXT, almost an NXT UK takeover. I wish. We need another one of those. But NXT TakeOver 25 going down this Saturday night in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Excuse me. And this actually was an interesting episode. I know there's a, there's a lot going on in the lead up to this Saturday night. Um, but the matches they had on the card were actually very interesting. And starting off the night was, of course, the rematch between Mia Yim and Bianca Belair. I remember, I know that last time we had spoken about NXT Review, we had actually talked about their first match uh, between these two. And this has actually been a very interesting feud, um, one of the more interesting feuds in NXT. And I love the fact that what NXT does is what WWE doesn't do is that you have a current women's championship feud in Shayna Baszler and Io Shirai. And right underneath that is a secondary feud. Now, you know, let's be reasonable for a minute. It would make sense for the women's division in in the main roster to actually do the same thing. Um, You know, building contenders, building up who would be the next in line to possibly face the champion you know we need to know these things we need to know who's going to be next in line you know who's bailey going to be facing next who's becky lynch going to be facing next you know is it going to be the same old same old bullshit or are we going to get you know different contenders i know marley is legit i know i thought it was a good idea too apparently she woke up and just looked at me all weird anyway again that was uh your obligatory marley uh segment of this program. So let's get into Mia Yim, Bianca Belair. Of course, last match they had, um, Bianca Belair had to resort using the ponytail hooked on the middle rope in order to keep Mia Yim down for the three count. Uh, referee did not see the count. So they wanted, they had, uh, I believe they had a segment uh, about a week or so ago where uh, Bianca Belair was about to go to the uh, NXT GM William Regal's office to demand a title shot, and there was Mia Yim standing there, talk out there, coming out of a conversation, having a conversation with William Regal, and pretty much Yim got the rematch that she wanted, especially after what happened in their first match. So that is, of course, story always starts from the beginning. Bell rings. Bianca starts talking trash with Mia. Fans start with dueling chants, and immediately Mia gets hits a shotgun. Drop kick to Bianca. Bianca falls into the apron, hits up Mia with a hot shot. 
Bianca Hurt goes back in, powers me with a cover, and gets surprisingly got a two count immediately within the first minute of the match. She starts slapping me around. Fans start the dueling chance up again. She then scoops, goes for the scoop slam. Mia slips out of it, trips Bianca up. She then starts, then she starts slapping Bianca around, and Bianca then trips her up. She starts throwing rights and lefts. Mia drags Bianca down, throws hands back. She then Mia, uh, Bianca then gets up, uh, runs Mia over with a shoulder. Things speed up. Bianca hits a handspring over, only for Mia to follow that up and hit her with a shot block. P, uh, she then hits a PK on Bianca into the corner. And then uh, fans start dueling chance again. Mia runs in for a cannonball, drags Bianca for a cover. She gets a two count. Now, this is all in like the first couple of minutes of the match. Very, very interesting pace they started to set uh, in the beginning of the match. Bianca was gasping for air. Uh, Mia was staying on her with kicks, hits even stiffer kicks. Uh, but Bianca block, finally blocked one, trips Mia up. She then boots Mia down, goes for another cover, got a two count. Uh, she starts clubbing away at Mia in frustration, goes for another cover, and gets a two count. Uh, Mia cannot get away before Bianca puts on the double chicken wing. Damn, I just got hungry. Anyway, get back into things. Uh, she starts thrashing Mia around. Fans start rallying behind Mia. She stands up. Bianca wrangles her back down to the mat. Shifts to a full Nelson. Mia powers her way up. Prize free. Hits an arm drag on Bianca. Uh, Bianca gets back up. Gets caught in a roll-up. and got a two-count of that. But after the roll-up, she starts clobbering Yim. Gets, goes for another cover, and that got a two count. So a lot of covers early on in the match. Bianca's starting to get frustrated, tells Mia to get up. She sits up. Bianca clubs her right in the back and then hits Mia with a suplex and does a couple of squats before bringing her down, showing her strength. Now, for those that don't know about Bianca Belair, she used to be a former power lifter. And homegirl, and I've seen her in plenty of matches, actually doing... Um, the clean and jerk, not, yeah, they're doing a literal clean and jerk on one of her opponents, literally hit the jerk position and got it back up, it, it, it's a, it's a sight to see, this girl is truly powerful, and from what I've saw on Twitter, she actually won the uh, NXT PC combine for the third year in a row, um, I know that's on demand on WWE Network, I may check that out just to see what they were getting into, but homegirl can lift some weight, I'm just saying, homegirl can go with the weights, so, Right after uh, hitting her with a suplex, she goes for the splash, hits it, and gets a kip up. She said, and then, uh, of course, Bianca starts patting her booty and says, kiss my ass, while Mia's uh, floundering over in the corner. She goes over to the corner, starts slapping me around some more, but Mia shoves her back, goes up and over, and locks in the tarantula. A nice little ode to my boy Tajiri. Referee uh, counts and Mia lets go at four. She then grabs Bianca for another unique pill and roll, goes on another roll-up, gets a two-count. Uh, Mia drop kick. It's a drop kick on Mia and knocks her down. She then picks Mia up and go for an axe handle, hits her back down, stalking Maria to uh, Maria Mia. I beg your pardon to the ropes and grinds her face into the ropes, trying to blind her just a little bit. Referee counting. She stops in the corner at four. She throws forearms into the corner. Bianca stops at four again by the referee's discretion. Kicks Mia down and stands up with the with the old school Jericho pin, not the full on. Flexing Jericho Pin, but she literally just put a foot on her body and just being a little cocky with it. So, and that got a two count. So, Mia grabs her, uh, Bianca grabbed Mia by the hair, stands her up, hits double chicken wings again, lifts Mia up, Mia slips out, goes to the victory roll, hits a two, and Mia hits a jackknife, covers up again, gets a two count, goes for a backslide, that got a two count. Really trying to get the pinfall on Bianca Belair, who at this point has not been pinned she has been submitted 
and she, she never, but she's never tapped out, never had a pin on her. Mm, excuse me, a little foreshadowing there. So, after a couple of uh, pinfalls, she gets out of that. They stay hooked together after a backslide. Bianca actually turns it around, tries to roll Mia up for the pin. Mia landed on her feet, only to catch a big forearm shot that knocked her down. Gets a cover up, goes for the cover, gets a two count. She goes for another pinfall, gets another two count from uh, the referee. She starts going frustrated again and starts looming over Mia. Uh, Bianca goes for the chicken wings again. Mia endures everything, Get feeds, feeding off the fans' energy. Mia then spins around, throws Bianca out, comes right, Mia, Bianca comes right back. Mia dodges the overhead suit and hits an overhead suplex. Both women are down. Referee starts the standing 10 count. Neither woman sits up until 7. So they start heading for each other again. Mia then rallies with clotheslines and kicks. Mia back kicks, hits a back kick, hops on, goes for the sunset flip, power bomb, hits that, covers with a two count, and what she calls the code blue, which is technically a code red. Um, and I love that move, and she hit that perfectly, but couldn't get the job done there. Uh, Bianca then powers Mia to the corner, rams her shoulders in over and over on the gut, whips Mia corner to corner. Mia dodges and sends her right into the post. Bianca then goes for a wrench, and, uh, hits actually hits Eat Defeat for what she calls Soul Food. I like that one. I like that name better. It just fits better. Bianca floundering all the way out of the ring. Bianca staggers up the ramp. She is getting out, trying to get out of Dodge. She is not taking the loss this way. Mia on the pursuit, keeps Bianca from running, chops her, clubs Bianca back into the ring. She go, uh, she goes for the apron bump. Bianca blocked that and hits a chicken wing on Mita. On chicken wings Mia and slams her right into the apron. Then walks over her in to get into the ring. Referee starts the ten count. Bia barely gets up at five, stands at nine, and gets in before she completes the 10 count, and Bianca is beyond belief. She starts dragging Mia up, goes for clubbing forearms, not letting up on the attack, tosses Mia halfway across the ring, keeps on the attack with another Beal suplex, daring Mia to stand up, goes for a backdrop, showing no mercy. She goes for the power bomb. Mia somehow actually using her ponytail against her, grabs the ponytail, reels Bianca in, hits protect your neck, one, two, three. And for the first time in Bianca Belair's NXT career, she has been pinned. And I tweeted this out while I was live tweeting last night for those who followed me on Twitter and was actually checking that out. I did have Mia Yim in my top five in terms of who was the upper echelon of the women's division right this second. I had Mia, Bianca, I believe I had Candice, Io, and Shayna at the top. I had stated that Mia Yim needed this win to prove that she deserved to be in that upper echelon. Her beating Bianca confirms it. And now we're now we're one one. I know neither of them are going to be on this this time this takeover coming coming uh this Saturday night. But I have a strange feeling over the next couple of months we may get the conclusion to this rivalry. This may go down. I'd probably say before takeover, uh, Toronto in uh, August. Um, I would definitely love to see that one more battle before and, and and let it be like a number one contenders match because the winner of Baszler Shirai, we know it's gonna there's probably gonna be a rematch somewhere down the line 
if EO wins or if Baszler retains, Mia might be ne- Mia or Bianca might be next in line to face Baszler if she retains. Um, and, and that these four ladies right now, I think these are the four that we're definitely rocking with. I know Candice will be in EO's corner uh, this Saturday night, so she'll definitely be involved in that some in some fashion. So the top five ladies that I'm the top five I see in the upper echelon of the women's division right now are all intertwined, kind of sorta, in this mix to see who is the best woman right now. And I really in this honestly, the fact that these five are featured confirms everything I've been saying about who is in the top tier of the women's division right now. Just gotta follow the bouncing ball with me. Follow me. Follow me on this journey. I'm telling you, it makes absolute sense what I'm trying to tell you. I just see it. It works. And what I'm what I'm trying to bring to y'all. Now you're now you're seeing if you were watching it last night, now you see, you know, this is your top tier now. Going forward, this is gonna be your top tier going into TakeOver Toronto when we get there for August. I believe it's in Toronto for this time around for SummerSlam. So we then get a promo from the Velveteen Dream, the North American champion. He sets up his own selfie stick. He begins by saying, Tyler Breeze, I remember you. And he's saying, you know, Prince Pretty was big his first time through NXT. Does he remember? He asked him, do you remember the night you were you found out you were being called up? He said that everyone could see the fear in Tyra's eyes because that was the last time he got a standing ovation. That was a hell of a line. The last time you got a standing ovation was when you were getting called up to the main roster. And he then says that Tyler Breeze went down to SmackDown with the SmackDown to give the main roster a facelift only to lose the Dolph Ziggler. They were basically going through Tyler Breeze's career uh, on the main roster on Raw and SmackDown. He says that Tyler can take the heat. NXT then upgraded to the Velveteen Dream. Sold out arenas and commanding performances. The spotlight shined bright on the dream. Everyone wants a part of the dream. And that's why Breeze had to come back. He says that Breeze remembers himself. He was gorgeous, but he's not a talent worth this title. He never had NXT gold. And then proceeded to call him the great value version of the dream. Now, for those of you who don't, uh, now, I'm sure there's a Walmart in almost every state in this country. For those of you who don't know what, what great value is, think of like when you go to a grocery store and you know you have the brand names and all that good stuff. And then you have the store brand names. Walmart store brands is great value so he's calling tyler breeze a store brand version of the name brand that is the velveteen dream that dug that was a literal dig right at tyler breeze and i love that line and he says that breeze wants that wants the spotlight by any means necessary this was a very very good promo cut by velveteen dream and there's one person i think it was at wwe our dream I follow on Twitter. She's a great follow, by the way. And she really is a big fan. Oh, well, we're both big fans of Undisputed Era. But she, but you know, she definitely enjoyed that uh, Velveteen Dream line as much as I did. Um, but whoever wrote that promo definitely deserves a raise. That was a solid line in that promo. He's basically telling Tyra Breeze, you are nothing but a lower tier version of me. And I'm going to show you why on Saturday. It was a that was a great great line, great promo by Velveteen Dream. And I think and the reason I'm talking about her is because she even said ever since his promos in the beginning with Aleister Black 
um, and all that. He's improved so much, and I wholeheartedly agree. Ever since he had his first big feud with the Velvet, uh, with uh, Velveteen Dream, God forbid he had faces himself ever. Um, the day you know the Alistair Black feud really boosted him up, and ever since then he's improved so so much. With every passing promo, he's just getting so much better. And like I said, this is a pet project of Shawn Michaels. This is trip one of biggest Triple H's biggest, you know, projects. The guy's only what 24, 25 years old, and he's already doing promos like this. It is really cool to see that, to see his progression from just a couple of years, like what, a year and a half, two years ago. To get to where he is right now. Anyway, getting uh, getting into the next segment. NXT Media had caught up with Shayna Baszler and the Horsewoman. And just so you know, I am actually taking this uh, the notes from thechairshot.com. A great website to get all your results from. Uh, they do they do go in-depth with their stuff. So. so they catch up with Shayna Baszler and the Horsewoman. They were doing a group photo shoot. When they were asked about Shirai saving Candice away from them with the help of, Ken, of a kendo stick strikes. So Shayna asked are they, if they're concerned... That she might try to get that again a takeover. Well, Shayna says, no. The difference is, takeover won't allow weapons. Shirai has run out of friends, but I still have mine, and they'll be right there with me. So, pretty much then she tells the uh, the interviewer to get the hell out of the way, and I, I definitely dig that. You know, just the simple fact that saying that Shirai's got no friends. You've got, she really doesn't have anybody, you know, in her corner, but I still have my squad with me. I have the Queen's army with me, as I affectionately call them. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens, you know, this Saturday with Duke and Shafir in her corner. A little foreshadowing there for you guys. We then get into Kushida taking on Drew Gulak. Now, the last time Kushida had a match, Drew Gulak actually was standing up at the ramp and watching him perform. I believe he was going against Kona Reeves, and it looked like Drew Gulak wasn't even in that oppressed, impressed by um, Kushida at all. Not, none whatsoever, so they decided to have it out, and William Regal made it official for this week's episode. So, bell rings. Gulak circles in with Kushida. He's finally tied up. Kushida gets a wrist lock, good thing goes to a waist lock. Gulak then uh, hits a standing switch, floats over to a face lock. Kushida then slips out with a wrist lock and gets a hammer lock on Gulak. Kushida goes for the headlock. Gulak gets away from them. So they get up and tie up again. Gulak wrenches to the wrist lock. Kushida then reverses. Gulak then reverses it back again. Kushida tries to escape, gets a drop toe hold. Floats over to a face lock only for Gulak to slip out and keep the wrist lock. Uh, Kushida then rolls over rolls over and over again. Then uh, Gulak has to let go. Chirian's cheering. As Gushida backs Gulak to a corner, Gulak smirking at him, and they go for another grapple. So definitely going for the mat technician skills early on. I really like that both of them have those types of mat skills to actually show the crowd they got some skills with this. So they go for a test of strength, going shoulder to shoulder. Gulak steps through, bends Gushida backwards. Gushida then bridges up. He stays up even as Gulak tries to put a knee on the chest, showing his wonderful ab strength. He stands back up, laces through. Gulak goes for... Words are hard. Gulag gets a leg right into the half crab. See, he actually sits deep on it. Kushida enduring the hold. Kushida slips through, kicks at Gulag, end up in another knuckle lock into position. 
Using the spider guard, he actually keeps Gulak's shoulders away, shifts right into a head scissor hold. That becomes a triangle hold. Gulak pops right out of it, and fans are cheering as both men back off to catch their breath. Again, showing their mat skills early on is always a plus for me, because I love some mat technician skills. So they approach up, tie, one, tie up once more. Gulak then turns Kushida. Kushida hooks Gulak for a backslide. Gulak immediately slips out, only for Kushida to roll it into a cross-face hold. Then floats to the other side, keeping the head trapped. He, Gulak then powers up to his feet, working on the grip. Rolls Kushida over, gets Kushida, then gets right back up. Kushida squeezes, then Gulak gets right back to his feet. He powers out, catching Kushida, going round and round, both going for the stretch. But Kushida then slips on the iron octopus hold, and which now Gulak has to endure, even goes even after the fingers of Gulak. Gulak then powers out, ties up the legs, and goes for a trailer hitch death lock. And that was a very interesting hold. I had never seen before, so this was some interesting stuff early on in the match. Fans railing behind Kushida gets the rope break. Gulak letting up at four, being the heel that he is. Kushida then scrambles away, but Gulak is right back on the attack. Hits Kushida for a scoop slam. Kushida kicks him away. Kushida goes for a hip toss. Gulak blocks it. Gulak then wants a hip toss. Kushida blocks that, going back and forth. Both wanted a hip toss. Gulak then puts Kushida on the apron. Kushida runs and wrenches the arm, hot shots the shoulder, which definitely hurt like hell. He hurries back in, aims at the arm, misses the kick. Gulak goes for the fireman's carry into a gut buster drop. Very nice move there. He then drags Kushida around for a grounded octopus, torturing the wrist and elbow. Fans running behind Kushida as he prizes the legs off his head, goes to a body scissor, then rolls Gulak into the stretch plume, and uh, in which now Gulak has to endure. Pops an arm out to get free to get free. Both men back off, recovering their arm strength, trying to keep uh, their arm uh, as well as they possibly can. Kushida then goes for the leg. Gulak slips out through a waist lock. Kushida then takes a standing switch, shoves Gulak. Gulak goes up and over, runs, dodges the move, whatever whatever Kushida was trying to do. Gets caught in a hip toss in an arm bar. And Gulak starts fling, flailing away. Fans are hitting dueling chants, are chanting for Kushida and Gulak. Kushida trying to break the hands apart, and he finally gets it. Gulag rolls over, gets the ankle lock on Kushida. Kushida then goes for another armbar, only for Gulag to take the ankle lock again. He actually endured the twist as fans rallying behind him. He reaches for the ropes. Gulag pulls him away from the ropes. He then finally rolls Gulag off and dodges in the corner and hits a running enziguri on Gulag. He then rolls Gulag into the fisherman. It's a fisherman buster. Gulag blocked the move. Gulak then swings around, but gets countered, and I believe Kushida floats over into the Kimura. He wants he goes going for the hoverboard lock. Gulak holds onto his own arm. Both men are literally roaring at each other back and forth, which got which got a couple laps from the crowd. Kushida then spins Gulak through, gets a forearm. Gulak swung him into a complete shot, but Kushida catches him into the body scissor cradle, and that was enough to get the victory for Kushida. This was a very interesting matchup between these two. And I think now Drew Gulag is now officially Kushida's first true feud here in NXT. Uh, I love the mat skills by both guys. After the match, Kushida telling uh, Kushida he got lucky. Kushida looking at him pretty much like as if he was saying luck had nothing to do with it. Gulak says Kushida's a coward. So it looks like this feud is going to be the first true feud for Kushida going forward. And I couldn't think of a better man.
to actually have his first feud with than Gulak. Gulak's a definitely uh, a solid cruiserweight. Um, I love his skills in the ring. The man can talk. And shout out to uh, at Jeremy uh, nine eight one one on Twitter. I'm, I follow him, and we're pretty cool on there. And uh, he was definitely he was definitely a fan of this match. And he was saying that Drew Gulak needs to have a PowerPoint that shows how how that loss was a fluke. I laughed my ass off. I definitely love that. Um, definitely a good first match between these two. I can't. I'm, I think the rematch will be a little bit more intriguing, just to see um, what how much more they can do with each other. This was just a nice little first match to see how they would feel. And the, the crowd was definitely behind it. So I think this will definitely continue into the summer months. And this is actually going to be good for Kushida. You know, I, I, I always think, you know, when Matt Riddle came in, who was going to be his first feud, we got Cassius Ono. Uh, Velveteen Dream's first true feud was against Aleister Black. So it's really nice to see now Kushida ha- finally having his first feud after his uh, first ma- debut match against Cassius Ono, and then a second match against Kona Reeves. Now he's stepping up in another tier and seeing how that goes. So I'm interested to see what they're going to do with that going forward. So Kathy Kelly is backstage with Io Shirai and talking about her match at TakeOver. Uh, she tells Io that Gina says that at TakeOver, Shirai won't have, a num- won't have the numbers or a kendo stick advantage, asking her if she's concerned at all about her odds. Io says she's not afraid of Shayna or the Horsewoman. And she can have whoever she wants at TakeOver. She said she won't need a stick to beat the champ. Then she starts uh, speaking some Japanese and Candice LeRae comes by. Candice wanted to thank Shirai for what she did last week and says that she'll have Shirai's back at TakeOver. Uh, Shirai then thanks Candice for the assist and Candice wants Shannon to... And it, I think she... If I remember, she told Kathy to let Shannon know that, yeah, this is what's going down. So... We now know that Candice LeRae is going to be in the corner of Io Shirai this Saturday night, just as just to have as a little bit of a backup for Candice. Shanna said she had no friends. Looks like she was proven wrong. So we then we go into a little promo segment, uh, talking about looking at uh, talking about the uh, rematch between Johnny Gargano and Adam Cole, and they go through their um, their match at Takeover New York, saying and Johnny starts by saying. He isn't sure how it happened, other than a superhuman performance at TakeOver New York. He says he's bringing inspiration to the Cleveland wrestling scene because he refused to take no for an answer. So basically what they were doing was they were going through the whole, uh, you know, Johnny, you know, back at Cleveland, throwing the first pitch at uh, the Cleveland Indians game, uh, appearing on the Cleveland Browns radio network, all this stuff um, about that. He says he wants to inspire everyone now that he's finally Johnny Champion. And he says Gargano's dream is Adam Cole's nightmare. This, they then uh, go move over to Cole and how he says he keeps thinking back to New York. He says that it sickens him that if it were any other match, he would be the one in Gargano's place and you'll be talking to him as NXT champion. He says now he has to watch Gargano run around with the championship. Gargano was never meant to be champion, but he only won one fall to two. Gargano states that he loves and lives pro wrestling in NXT. And he says that he couldn't let Cole take over NXT. Cole wants all the glory and the fame, and nothing's going to stop him from getting what's his this time around. He says Gargano has the weight of the world on his shoulders, and he'll crumble underneath him. He says he needs to prove that he can win on his own to take it away from Gargano. And he will. And neither man's going to stop until the other man is down, until they are NXT champion. 
And that is undisputed. Very nice hype for Gargano and Cole. I can't wait to see this rematch. This is going to be a really, really kick-ass rematch between Gargano and Cole on Saturday night. Main event time here on NXT. Oni Lorcan and Danny Burch taking on the Forgotten Sons. Um, so we now officially know, as of last week, the Viking Raiders... Uh, let me rephrase that. The War Raiders officially vacated and relinquished the NXT Tag Team Championships now that they are on Monday Night Raw. Now we have no NXT Tag Team Champions. William Regal, of course, announced that there will be a fatal four-way for the NXT Tag Team Championships between the Street Profits, Kyle Raleigh and Bobby Fish, the Forgotten Sons, and Lorkin and Birch in a ladder match to determine who will be the new NXT Tag Team Champions. We know that all t- all the titles were going to, you know, all four teams are, I think, in my opinion, worthy of being NXT Tag Team Champions. And if you want to know who I chose as my pick to win the Fatal 4-Way Ladder Match, you can check out episode 74, and you'll know who I picked there, along with every other pick I made for the match card there. So we get into the match. Team sorted out. Blake starts up against Birch. The bell rings, and immediately Birch hits a, dr- a shotgun drop kick on Blake. Bur- Birch then wrenches Blake with the arm, spins through for a takedown, and hits a PK right to his arm, trying to loosen, uh, destroy the arm early on. Keeping on the arm, keeping Blake on the mat. Uh, Blake endures it, tags in Cutler. Blake goes for the whip. Birch right into Cutler's elbow. That was a nice little innovative move there. Cutler then puts Birch into the corner, starts stomping him out. He then brings Birch out to tag Blake back in. Hit, they both hit a double backbreaker and go for the cover early on there. I got a two count. Blake starts toying with Birch and then tags in Cutler again. He then whips Birch to uh, to Cutler, and but Birch dodges both of them, tags in Oni, who starts chopping, chopping away at both Cutler and Blake. Lorcan starts throwing European uppercuts on Blake, runs over, and but... Jackson Riker takes a swipe at him when he comes off the ropes. Blake clobbers Lorcan from behind from the distraction. The referee ejecting Jackson Riker for his actions. Both Cutler and Blake are pissed off, but referee deemed it necessary for a two-on-two fair fight. As Riker was going up to the ramp, out come the Street Profits. Jumping Riker on the ramp from behind. Dawkins and Ford throwing Riker into the LED Titan Tron. Lorkin and Birch going after Blake and Cutler. And then the Prophets go into the ring. And we now have a fight. Referee calling for the bell. It ends in a no contest. They're not trying to wait for Saturday to get their shots in. They start clubbing away on Cutler. Lorkin and Birch taking it to Blake. The Forgotten Sons are getting tossed out. Prophets starting down with uh, the Brit and Brawlers as they're calling him on the chair shot. I like them as Lorkin and Birch. And explodes into another brawl between those two teams. Blatant Color to return with chairs and start smacking everybody with the chair shot after chair shot after chair shot. Suns take over the ring. Riker gets back up and rejoins his brothers in arms. Undisputed Era, all four members start coming out. It's not just O'Reilly Fish, O'Reilly and Fish. Strong and Cole come out as well. They wipe out, they wipe Riker out and Dare Color and Blake to bring it. Cutler and Blake head up the ramp and get attacked by Fish and O'Reilly. It's now a four-on-two with the Forgotten Sons. Blake hits a, a combination strong knee with a super kick. But Cutler gets caught with what with what they're calling total annihilation, which is really called chasing the dragon. Full sail is fired up. 
the Undisputed Era standing tall. Riker gets back up. Cole produces a ladder from underneath the ring. They used, all four of them used the ladder to ram Riker down, but he still tries to get up. So they slam the ladder on his back to keep him down. They stand the ladder over Riker, keeping him down. Cole climbs up. Then Strong stands in front of it, handing Cole a mic, while Fish and Riley flank him on either side and says, Riddle, Gargano, at TakeOver, that is undisputed and that ends this week's episode of NXT. This was a damn good episode of NXT and a great go-home episode for the yellow and black. The Mia Bianca rematch was damn good. It was it was very cool to see Mia using Bianca's hair against her to beat her and get payback, you know, and now we're at 1-1 Promos all around were fantastic, and having Candice in Shirai's corner does make sense. Um, really, really cool to see that. Uh, Kulak versus Kushida. I would definitely, I'm definitely gonna go back and see that. That was a really cool match that they had, and I can't wait to see what they do going forward. Um, the NXT North American Championship video package was solid. Dream versus Breeze, I think, is going to be a really good match, and I'm calling that the Dark Horse match of the night. Gargano versus Cole 2 package was fantastic. Um, even with the tag team main event, with the, even with the attacks, it made sense. Um, all four members of the Undisputed Era coming out to attack everybody. I think that made sense as well. Really shows that NXT can produce a go-home show properly. This is how you do a go-home show. Without question. I love this show. I love this episode. Everything tied, we had every loose end that got needed to get tied up, got tied up. And that is that with NXT Review. We're going to take a little bit of a quick break, and then we're going to get right into talking about NXT UK. Of course, Nina Samuels versus Tony Storm for the NXT UK Women's Championship. And an interesting match between Jack Gallagher and Cassius Ono. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Right, and welcome back to episode 75 of the Young Lions Perspective. And we are going to be talking about NXT UK. Y'all know I love me some NXT UK, and I'm happy that I got I get a chance to actually talk about NXT UK this week with you guys. Now, like I said, I am literally so behind with NXT UK, of course, with my new position at my job. Um, I haven't really been able to catch up on a lot of the NXT UK stuff. So hopefully one day when I get a chance, I'm just going to, I'm just going to sit down. I'm not going to do jack shit. I'm just going to watch episode of, I got to watch what, six hours, close to six hours of content <laughs> for NXT UK just to get caught up in everything that's going on. I still haven't seen the Tony Storm versus Jenny title match yet. Um, I missed Walter versus Dunn 2, which kind of upset me. Um, but NXT UK is still one of the most up-and-coming brands in WWE's umbrella that we have right now. And they started the show off with the rematch from last week, Walter versus Pete Dunne 2. They pretty much showed the match, uh, pretty much all the highlights of the match. And it looked like Pete Dunne was going to become a two-time WWE United Kingdom champion. 
when out came Marcel Bartel and Fabian Eichner distracting and attacking Pete Dunne. Walter ended up hitting the Walter Bomb, getting the three count and retaining the championship. And they stood tall after the victory for Walter. So we get NXT UK beginning, of course. They are in Glasgow, Scotland. And the return of the ring general, the crowd, of course, chanting along with Walter's theme song. Standing tall with Barcel and Eichner. Bartel and Eichner, more importantly, still, of course, your UK champion. They take to the ring, standing together. Glasgow crowds, some of them were cheering. Some of them were still upset over what had happened the week prior. Fans chanting, we want done. Walter and his men ignoring the whole, st- oh, the whole uh, deal. Bartel picking up the mic to speak first, but he gets a chorus of boos from the Glasgow crowd, not allowing him to speak. They start chanting for the bruiserweight. Bartel then goes to speak. Crowd boos him again. Getting a lot of heat. A lot of heat from the Glasgow crowd. Bartel finally is able to start his uh, promo saying, we are here to lead you to a better NXT UK. He states that they are here to raise their flag and restore the honor and professionalism to the sport. Fans start taunting Bartel with chants of nine. And then he goes on to say, they are the ones who lead and they are the ones who hold true power. Of course, Glasgow disagreeing with that statement, booing him as he gives the mic over to Fabian Eichner, who states that Pete Dunne can only get you so far and British strong style has expired because none of them had the ability to lead NXT UK in the right direction. And that and now that responsibility lays in their hands. Walter takes to the mic to speak and says one of my favorite lines that he has said to us, this map is sacred. And from this day forth, the three of them shall be known as Imperium. I love the name. I fucking love the name. I know outside of NXT UK, uh, the group with Volter, Marcelo Baltel, who is known outside of NXT UK as Axel Dieter Jr., and Timothy Thatcher, who round out the three known as Ringkampf. Now you just switch out Thatcher and Eichner, and you now have Imperium. It looked as if Volter was going to continue his promo and said, and but out came Pete Dunn to the chorus of lovely cheers from the Glasgow crowd. But it looked like he wasn't coming alone. Out comes Mustache Mountain, Tyler Bate, and Trent Seven. They stare a hole in Imperium and they start heading for the ring. And then they start the fight. Bate goes after Eichner, Seven goes after Bartell, Dunn goes after Volter, Imperium's pretty much getting beaten down, and a cameraman during the whole fray gets knocked down, uh, they lose a bit of visual, it goes back to the fight, and then they lost the entire visual for the rest of the segment, referee's rushing out, the feed goes down, immediately right after that, they immediately went to commercial, we then get a backstage interview on returning from the commercial, with assistant NXT U- with the assistant to the NXT UK GM Johnny Saint Sid Scala, my boy, my boy Sid. Now, and Rodzi was back there to conduct the interview. My boy Rodzi. 
So, he asked Sitzgala, after seeing such carnage in the ring, what is the response to this fray? So, Sitzgala makes the announcement, in two weeks' time, it will be British Strong Style taking on Imperium in a six-man tag team match. And this is going to be absolutely bananas. Oh, my. I Here's why... I'm in love with NXT UK. I love the fact that they're bringing stables back into the fold. It's kind of like, um, I wouldn't say like a Game of Thrones type, but they're going back to like the days of like 96, 97, excuse me, when, you know, there was Los Barriquas and DOA and the, uh, I was about to say Legion of Doom. Uh, damn, I can't even remember their names right now. The Nation of Domination, the Union and all these, all these stables and warfare against each other. Now you have, as far as I know, Gallus, British Strong Style, and now Imperium as a new stable, fighting for power in NXT UK. I really do like the fact that they have stables. I'm a big fan of them. I think it adds more to the whole deal, especially if they're leaning towards another uh, NXT uh, UK takeover soon. Um... There has been an announcement of another NXT UK um, takeover. I'm going to take a sip of coffee real quick because coffee is delicious. Mm. Oh, coffee is beautiful. Without coffee, there is no me. Anyway, that was a weird flex. Um, anyway, so we start the matches off. Starting the night off with Gallus, Mark Coffee, and Wolfgang playing a, ho- a glorified home game. Against Carlos Romo and A-Kid. Of course, Glasgow's own. And tag team action, of course. Um, Joe Coffey walked out with them to the ramp, but he did not uh, uh, follow them out to the ring. as He has to focus on his number one contenders. Fatal four-way match coming up next week. And we now know, unless you've been watching NXT UK, uh, we now know that it's going to be Joe Coffey, Dave Mastiff, Travis Banks, and Jordan Devlin to determine who will get a future shot at the WWE United Kingdom Championship? And personally, these are the four best guys you can put on right now. Banks, Devlin, Mastiff, and freaking Coffee. That is a hell of a four that I can rock with. I couldn't even try to attempt to pick who would be next in line to take on the uh, take on Valter for the championship. I I mean, each each one of these men could make a case to face Volter. They really could. Um, I know in OTT, Devlin, beat Vol- Devlin just beat Volter about a couple months ago to become the new OTT champion. Um, Banks and Volter have had a feud back in progress when Banks was heel and Volter was the one to take the title from him. I think that was during Super Strong Style uh, 16 weekend this past year. If not um, last year, I'm not exactly sure when. I think it was either this year or last year. He beat Banks to become the champion. Um, Coffee and Volter, they've definitely got some beef, especially after NXT UK takeover uh, Blackpool. Um, and Mastiff, I think, is the wild card in all of this because also I think he can go with Volter too. I think either one of these, either one of these four men can make a great title match for Volter. Um I couldn't even tell you who, I couldn't even pick who would win this match. Fatal Four Ways are always the most unpredictable. And with these four, any one of these guys could definitely stand across Volter and make it a true viable 
championship match. And I would love every second of it. The one I'm leaning towards right now would be Travis, but he hasn't really gotten a lot of momentum. Devlin has some momentum. Coffee could make the most, could possibly make the most sense because of the feud, they, the kind of the beef that he has with Volter, especially when he's trying to get their kingdom up and running. Um, either way, I think this, this is a huge main event for NXT UK. One of the biggest main events NXT UK has had so far, minus, of course, Volter versus Dunn 2. It's, it's going to be very, I'm going to be very excited to see this. This is going to be a very, very solid main event that I am ex- very excited for. And I can't wait to see what they do next week. But we're talking about this week. So we had uh, the bell ringing Wolfgang. Now, prior to the match even starting, Wolfgang was pissed. Wolfgang just wanted to beat anybody and their grandmama. He, he was tight. He was heated. He wanted to just whoop somebody's ass. Uh, I thought he was going to beat the shit out of the ring announcer for a minute. I'm like, whoa, 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 Wolfgang, calm down. Well, Coffee's trying to calm him down the entire time before the match even started. So Wolfgang starts and goes right after Romo, even blasting a kid off the apron with clotheslines, stopping Romo out in the corner. He then picks uh, puts Romo back in the corner of Gallus, tags in Mark Coffee. Uh, he whips Romo into the corner. Mark tosses Romo right back out, then tosses Romo around and hits a running uppercut. Whips Romo corner to corner, runs in. Romo manages to dodge it and sent Mark into the buckles. Fans start rallying behind Gallus. So like I said before, it's a glorified home game. Romo begin, tries, uh, actually rolls Mark up, gets a one count, tags in A-Kid. Very smart move by Romo. A-Kid goes for the drop kick, fires off palm strikes. Mark grabs A-Kid and gives him a huge choke slam, who then tags in Wolfgang and hits a leaping elbow. Wolfgang dares Romo to do something. Referee keeps Romo back. Romo trying to get into the ring to save A-Kid. Wolfgang whips A-Kid into the corner, tags in Mark. So they start mugging A-Kid in the corner. Mark then knees A-Kid down. Mark keeps on A-Kid with a ground and half Nelson and a chin bar. A-Kid endures all of that, fights his way back up. As fans are cheering, we are gallus. Again, glorified home game. Mark then goes for the full Nelson, thrashing A-Kid around, swings A-Kid, then thrashes him some more. A-Kid staying awake throughout the entire thing, working against the hole as fans are rallying both ways for both teams. Mark starts swinging A-Kid around again, slams him right down to the mat, crosses his arms, and Glasgow, Glasgow just cheering on their hometown hero. So A-Kid, dodging the knee drop from coffee, tags in Romo, goes up, flips over the ropes, and gets hit with double chops for his wonderful display of athleticism. He tags in Wolfgang. Mark feeds Romo up to, to the pop-up. Wolfgang catches Romo on his shoulder. Mark adds an enziguri right on the back. And Wolfgang finishes him off with a power slam, which gives Gallus the victory going forward. Um, I know that Wolfgang was trying, was actually had faced Dave Mastiff to get a shot, try to get two members of Gallus in the uh, Fatal 4 Championship match. Unfortunately, it was not Wolfgang's day as Mastiff did beat Wolfgang. So it looks like now we're going to have Wolfgang and Mark Coffey in the title, in an NXT UK tag title scene, which I'm perfectly fine with because I think Coffey and Wolfgang need to definitely get back into the upper echelon of the division, which is still uh, championed up, of course, by Zach Gibson and James Drake. Uh, Wolfgang starting to go, started to go after Roma after the match. Mark Coffey had to hold him back and he said they had to save it for whoever the tag titles in the near future. We then get into a backstage interview with Zaya Brookside, who, which by the way, is a very adorable lady. Uh, we cannot deny that. And one hell of a talent for NXT UK. Um, 
So, Rodzi is uh, talking to her, asking her, two weeks ago, her match with Killer Kelly was interrupted by Ginny, who was, in fact, introducing the newest acquisition to the new the NXT UK Women's Division, Jazzy Gabbard. Yeah, Jazzy Gabbard is officially now in NXT UK. I missed that. I need to watch the shit. And so, Gabbard had destroyed Zaya. So, she, she's asked, where's her head at? Brookside says that this has happened before. Rhea Ripley was a big bully, and now Ginny is using Jazzy to do the same. It's only because Ginny can't take her on by herself. Isla Dawn, who I haven't seen in a while in NXT UK, overhears it and walks over to Ginny to say, Jazzy and Ginny were a disgrace. But Isla and Zaya had magic in the ring as rivals. So why don't they join forces to fight back? And then tell, and, uh, ask, you know, and says, uh, let's go uh, talk about some tactics. So now we're probably going to be having Ginny and Jazzy Gabbard. Who, if you haven't seen Jazzy Gabbard in the ring, the last match I remember seeing her in WWE was her against, uh, who was it? Oh, wow. Wait. Abby Lath, who is uh, known in the indies as Kimberly. Um, so probably we're going to be seeing a future match between the four of them in a tag team situation. We then get into a promo by Joseph Connors, who states, you wouldn't normally catch me doing this. Talking about the selfie promos that they have. But ever since in a, seven, ever since it was announced that Ilya Dragunov was coming to NXT UK, all I've heard from people is that Ilya is the most physical, the most intense man to ever step into the NXT UK landscape. He says that when they finally meet, they'll see about that. So once, so Connor's getting back into the shiny new toy uh, gimmick that he has, and I am not mad if they're going to be doing Connor's Versus Dragonoff, but I can't wait. I cannot wait. I love me some Ilya Dragonoff. If you've never seen Ilya Dragonoff wrestle, he is charisma personified. The man is just awesome. I love me some Dragonoff, and I think he's a big get for NXT UK. He's a huge get. One, I think they're really trying to build a main event scene that cannot be denied, like they're doing in NXT UK. Their main event scene in NXT. Is fucking awesome. And I think now with NXT UK, you have Falter, Pete Dunn, Ilya Dragunov, Joe Coffey, um, Eichner and Bartel, Mustache Mountain, the remainder of Gallus. And now you add Dragunov into that mix. Holy fucking shit. What a main event scene we now have in NXT UK. There's a lot of players. Jordan Devlin, Dave Mastiff, Travis Banks. Excuse me. I love their main event scene right now. Just, just, the, just, just the amount of players that they have, the amount of moving parts that they have for the uh, main event scene in NXT UK, some of the best that Europe has to offer is so amazing. It, I, I'm in love with their main event scene, and now they're building, starting to build up Ilya Dragunov. I'm not going to say Dragunov is the one that's going to beat Valter for the title, but I definitely can see... Dragunov getting a future title shot against Valter. Um, I, that, that means there's a little bit of foreshadowing that whoever wins the Fatal 4-Way is going to lose to Valter. But I can say Dragunov is a future title contender in the waiting. I cannot wait. If they, if they, I'm telling you this right now. If they decide to do Valter versus Ilya Dragunov for the WWE United Kingdom Championship... I am telling you, that is an NXT UK TakeOver main event 
waiting to happen. I am telling you this right now. You heard it here first. Fuck with me on this journey. Walter Ilya Dragunov for the WWE United Kingdom Championship is money. More money than Carmella could ever be. You want to talk about a feud that fan, that fans who know about both Walter and Dragunov? You wouldn't mean to tell me you wouldn't want to see that match. Because, mind you, this match has happened before in WXW. If I remember correctly, in the 16-karat gold tournament a couple years ago, I think I spoke about this uh, a couple months back, Dragunov beat Walter to win a, the 16-karat gold tournament. And from what I saw in the highlights, that match was freaking incredible. I am I will be I will be marking the fuck out if we got Dragonoff, Volter in the future, in the next couple of months, for the United Kingdom Championship. I'm not saying Dragonoff would take Volter's belt, but Dragonoff Volter would put asses in the seats. I am telling you. That, put it this way, if, if they, if NXT UK had a chance to do a show in Europe, I would be fucking ecstatic. Uh, in the remainder of Europe, you know, in a Berlin, in a uh, Munich, um, you know, doing in a Warsaw, Poland, or uh, uh, Paris, France, something like that. I'm, I'm just thinking long term, far ahead in the future. But that match is takeover worthy in every sense of the word. Telling you right now, Walter Dragunov, future WWE United Kingdom Championship match, mark my fucking words. Anyway, getting back into the review, NXT uh, reviewing what is going to be coming up for next week's main event, the Fatal 4-Way Number 1 Contenders match. Of course, they're going over the matches, uh, going over the video package, going over the matches, going over who will be in the match. Of course, they're highlighting Joe Coffey when he beat... uh, the Modfather himself, Flash Morgan Webster, the Ace, him, the Irish Ace, beating uh, Legero, vowing to prove he was always the number one contender. Dave Mastiff, um, of course, beating Wolfgang to advance the Fatal Four Way, and the Kiwi Buzzsaw going through Joseph Connors to add, round out the four. This is going to be a great Fatal Four Way contenders number one contenders match. I'm really going to thoroughly enjoy this match. Um, like I said, I'm not, I don't have money on either one of these four. I expect a great match from these four. Um, the fact that it's not elimination is okay with me. Uh, we need to have a definitive winner and this, this match is going to blow the roof off. I think it's, I think it's still going to be in Glasgow, Scotland for all I know, but they may go to another venue. I think, well, this is the last, uh, Glasgow show of the month. So they may be doing tapings for another, uh, section of the UK. I'm not exactly sure. But either way, I cannot wait for this main event next week. So we get into, back into the ring. Jack Gallagher versus Cassius Ono. This was an interesting matchup to watch. I really did like this match. Um, Jack Gallagher, of course, being in NXT UK, makes the most sense. Um... Cassius Ono, I think over in NXT UK, I think it works for him. I think he makes it work. Um, he wasn't really doing much for a while. I think he should stay in NXT UK. I think he can help that uh, up-and-coming mid-card. Definitely. Not as a gatekeeper, but he could probably do a little bit more with that. So I would be interested to see what Gallagher does going forward. I'm telling you, they need a UK NXT UK 
Commonwealth title. They need a mid-card championship. They Think of the names you've already got. Walter, Ilya Dragunov, Pete Dunne, Seven, Bate, Coffee Boys, Wolfgang, Eichner and Bartell, Zach Gibson, James Drake, Jordan Devlin, Travis Banks, Joseph Connors, Legaro, Kenny Williams, Flash Morgan Webster, Mark Andrews. They are building this mid-card and, of, of course, the upper mid-card in the main event scene. And it's going to get to a point where they're going to need a UK mid-card championship. I'm telling you, the Commonwealth Championship makes the... I'm telling you, they should call it the Commonwealth title. So when they introduce a mid-card championship and they call it the Commonwealth Championship, I guarantee you, you're going to look to me first and be like, damn, this, this Young Lions perspective guy knows what he's talking about. I'm telling you, they need a mid-card championship. Damn soon. I would say hopefully by the end of this year, going into next year, they introduce a mid-card championship, especially with more acquisitions that they get, the more talent they get, you know, for that, I, I'm telling you, they need a NXT, a WWE, UK, Commonwealth Championship. It makes sense. Just do it. And if they aren't, do, if they are doing it, I need to see that belt sooner rather than later. But let's get into the match. So the bell rings. Gallagher has a spring, a little bit of springs to his step. Oh no, hearing the fans chanting for Jackie Boy and starts getting a little upset at the fact that they're not cheering for him. So they both circle. Ono takes Gallagher a bit too lightly. They uh, approach each other, tie up. Ono using his size to ring Gallagher to the mat, wrenching Gallagher's wrist. Rands rallying behind Gallagher early on. Gallagher gets up, hands to headstand, surprise free, and gets a headlock of his own. Ono then pushes Gallagher to the ropes. The two let up at the rest count of four. They tie up again. Gallagher goes for the gets around for a waist lock. Ono blocks it using his size to push Gallagher over, grabs a leg and twists the foot. Gallagher endures the hold. Ono twists even further using his chin. Very good use of the chin there. Gallagher working on his escape, rolling back and forth, sits up, hooks his own leg, and spins all the way out. Fans cheering behind Gallagher as he goes right for Ono's legs. They both end up in a corner. Ono shoving Gallagher away. Gallagher applauding Ono for his effort and stays on guard. Fans singing, let's go, Jackie, let's go. The two tie up again. Ono rolls to pick a leg, bringing Gallagher down. Ono goes for the toe hold again, then around the other way. He then hooks the legs together, keeping Gallagher down with a forearm. Pulling on Gallagher's arm, his fans start rallying behind Gallagher once more. He slips out and onto his feet. Gallagher keeps on, uh, Ono keeps on Gallagher with a mounted arm lock. Ono's taunting Jackie Boy as he wrenches it. Gallagher then starts working on an escape. escape. He then sits up, brings his legs up, repeats the process, grabs Ono with a head scissor. Fans cheering as Ono is now the one caught. As he's flailing and moving around, he bounces the way out and then kips right up as a shout-out to Johnny Saint. And even Nigel McGinnis actually put that into the uh, the air with that. Gallagher nodding in respect, keeping his leg guard when Ono approaches him. He baits Ono in, spins, and gets a face lock. He then wrenches an arm and shifts to a leg. Using Ono, of course, using his size to prevent a takedown. Gallagher escapes out of that, rolls to another headlock. He then rolls Gallagher and grabs a leg, goes for the half crab. Gallagher brings his free leg around, goes to kick Ono, but Ono grabbed it first and crisscrosses the legs together. Gallagher sitting up and turns over. Ono gets him in a full Nelson. Has Gallagher up on his feet. Gallagher uses his leg to pry free. 
uses it as a finger while Ono pulls on an ear. <laughs> that was, I thought that was pretty funny. He works on bringing Ono down, but Ono is too big and strong. He then tries to bring Gallagher's grip, but Gallagher spins around, wrenches around, works on the arm. Ono spins through to reverse it, all back on Gallagher. He then flips Gallagher down, but gets back up to check on his own arm. He, Gallagher gets up and the two start circling again. They go shoulder to shoulder, fans rallying as Ono starts to bend Gallagher back. Gallagher then goes for the bridge, keeping his shoulders off the mat. Ono untucks Gallagher's head, puts the shoulders down, and finally the first pinfall of the match only gets a one count. He then puts that arm back down. Another one count. Gallagher, Gallagher wiggles up, keeps Ono away with his legs, goes down the flip, gets through, goes up, gets thrown down. Gallagher crisscrosses and throws Ono with body scissors. Gallagher rolls for the runnings in. Ono dodged it, but Gallagher hits the handstand. In the corner, and everybody's loving that. Owner runs in again. Gallagher goes up and over. Starts speeding things up, and Gallagher becomes a pretzel. Genius, uh, the wrestling genius, as he calls himself, Mr. Ono. Solving the puzzle, stomping Gallagher out and dropping elbows on the back of Gallagher. Picks him up, throws a swift jab. Gallagher drops to the mat, goes for the cover, but there was a rope break. Ono drags Gallagher away and tucks the leg in for a stretch on the knee. The referee checking on Gallagher's bloody nose as Ono drops a spinning toe hold. Moving ahead towards the end of the match. So Gallagher has Ono, uh, I believe Ono broke free, misses again, and gets a flying armbar takedown. Gallagher pulls, but Ono has the grip on him. Gallagher goes for the bat after the bad arm and dragged Ono in for a triangle as Ono started to fade. Ono powers up, deadlifts Gallagher. Gallagher pops out for a head, another a second headbutt of the match. Gallagher drops to the mat first. Ono, a wobbly Ono falls right on him. And fans were just like, oh. They're both stirring. Fans chanting for uh, Mr. Gallagher. Gallagher starts throwing jabs. Ono hits the chops. They repeat the process. They start standing up. Ono goes for a chop again. Gallagher hits him with a European uppercut, but gets another chop for his troubles. Gallagher continues to throw European uppercuts. Ono goes for the low headbutt, runs in. Gallagher goes perpendicular for forearms, runs in, but runs into the discus forearm, which uh, knocks Gallagher down, goes for the cover, but his leg is under the rope. Unfortunately for Gallagher, the ref did not see it. Counts the three, and Cassius Ono defeats Jack Gallagher right after the pinfall. Ono wisely moves Gallagher's leg from underneath the ropes to back into the ring so it made it look like his leg was never underneath the ropes to begin with. Very nice victory for Mr. Ono and very clever boy for using his mind to keep Gallagher's leg away from the ropes. Mm. Had to get some water there, sorry. So NXT UK catches up with Piper Niven, one of their newer acquisitions. So they tell Niven that um, about what Rhea Ripley had said about her. And Scott, and the Scottish Viper herself says she heard what she said. And that Piper all, that just talks about her. Actions speak louder than words. And that she isn't here to talk. She's here to fight. So if Rhea wants to fight, she says she'll be waiting. So we looks like we might be getting a Ripley-Niven rivalry going. To which I reply, yes please. I am all here for that. I love Rhea Ripley. Of course, the inaugural, the first ever UK United Kingdom Women's Champion. Piper Niven. I love me some Piper Niven. She definitely killed in the ring with her match against Santana Garrett. 
Um, I'm a big fan of hers. And she had a really crazy, uh, for those who don't watch ICW, she had a really crazy hardcore match for the ICW Women's World title. Um, that match was absolutely insane. Unfortunately, she lost the belt uh, to Kaylee Ray because Kaylee Ray, using barbed wire to put her in a, a nice little crossface hold, and yeah, I'd tap out too, just saying. Anyway, main event time here on NXT UK Review. Tony Storm taking on Nina Samuels. The Rose Pink Devil herself made things very personal in a promo that she cut weeks ago. Um, calling Tony, of course, selfish and heartless. Um, saying that she left her single mother and sister behind to pursue her dreams. What kind of woman does that? And it's time for battle. So introductions were made. Belt is raised. Title on the line. Let's get it. And of course, every story starts with the beginning. Nina hears the singing of Tony, Tony Storm from the crowd. Of course, she's brushing it off. They tie up. Nina evades the, the wrist lock and they go again. Tony goes for the wrist again. Nina slips away again. They go up for a third time and Tony puts Nina in the corner. Nina pushes Tony away and uses the ropes as a shield to which the referee had to back Tony up. Fans start rallying behind Tony as the two tie up again. Tony's spinning Nina. Nina goes for the cartwheel, though. Nina smirks at Tony. Tony shrugs it off. They tie up again. Nina goes for the headlock, then shifts to a cravat hold. Fans start to rally up again. Tony spins out of it and slips out to toss Nina. Nina then cartwheels to go for another pose. Tony boots her out of the ring. Tony then does a cartwheel herself to the delight of the Glasgow crowd. Tony daring Nina to get back in the ring. Nina hesitates a little bit, taking her time to return to the ring. Wants Tony to stay back. Tony goes for Tony does, then sweeps the legs. Basement drop kicks Nina down, immediately goes for the cover and gets a two count. Tony then keeps her cool as she hits Nina with European uppercuts. Floors Nina, goes for another cover and gets a two count. Nina in trouble early, scrambling away to a corner. Tony's right on her with uh, furious forearms. Referee counting, using the five count, Tony backs off. Nina kicks Tony quick and starts raining down fist of her own, stopping Tony out. Tony gets to the ropes. Nina pulls her in for a motorcycle stretch. Referee counting the five count. Nina letting up at four. Hits a shotgun drop kick to bring her down to the mat. Goes for the cover and she gets a two count. She then goes for a seated abdominal stretch. Abdominal stretch. I can never say that word sometimes. I swear to God. It's abominable, abdominal. Beast with a beast. So she starts grinding her forearm in Tony's face. Tony fighting her way up. She yanks Tony back down, slapping her around in the corner. Grinds a boot on Tony, backs off at four. She then drags Tony up and hits her with a snapmare right into a neck stab. Goes for the cover again and gets a two count. Keeping She keeping continues to keep Tony down with clubbing forearms. Fans chanting for Tony. Tony starts hitting her back with forearm. Has Nina in the corner. Let's up only for Nina to sweep the legs. She then swings and drives knees into Tony's back, goes for another cover and gets a two count, starting to go frustrated with every pinfall she gets and doesn't get the three. Starts hammering Tony some more. Tony starts crawling away, but Nina's on her with more forearms. Runs in, hits a kick on Tony. Run, Tony hops up, goes over, comes back and gets a waist lock. Nina elbows out of it, runs into the uh, turnbuckles. Tony steps up, swings in, and hits a German suplex on Nina to get a little bit of time to recover. Nina then flounders right into Tony's insecurity. She picks Nina up and goes for the underhook, but Nina spins out. Then hits a kick on Tony, gets blocked, and misses an insecurity of her own. Tony then hooks the legs into a modified STF. Nina starts flailing for the ropes, crawls with Tony on her back, 
and gets the rope break. So, moving a little further on into the matchup, Nina forearms Tony, hits a kick. Tony goes for the under underhooks, looking for the Storm Zero. Hits a Nina hits a fireman's carry. Tony slips out. Nina then roundhouse kicks Tony to the mat and hits a sling a slingshot corkscrew. I cannot say words today. That's what I got. Slingshot corkscrew splash, and it only got a two count. Nina was shocked by that. Won't stop moving though. Gets to the top rope, glares at Tony. Nina cartwheels away as Tony went in, ran in on her, puts Tony's leg on the ropes, and hits a draping backbreaker. So, right after the fireman's carry, Tony escaped and shoves oh, Nina away, hits a wicked headbutt on Nina as she falls to the ground, goes for the cover, and she got a two count. Tony's reeling, Nina's reeling. Fans rally up, Tony is starting to drag Nina up into a waistlock. Nina slipped out, hits a low kick, goes for a clothesline, misses into another German suplex, Gets a bridging cover, but gets only a two count. So, Nina actually goes for a cradle counter, gets a two count. Nina kicks, hits and goes for the underhook, hits a butterfly backbreaker, and surprisingly, that only got a two count. Tony barely surviving at this point. Nina is shocked that she did not get the three count after this. She goes back into a corner, starts climbing up to the top. Nina taking aim, Brony rushes her with a headbutt. Tony then climbs up to join Nina. They start brawling in the corner. Nina shoves her down. Blasts her with the missile drop kick. And surprisingly, once again, gets a two count. Nina is losing her cool. Screaming in frustration. She calms herself down. Drags Tony back up. She stands Tony up. Tony hits a sickening headbutt. Goes for the half-hatch suplex. Hits a second. Catches double underhooks. Hits Storm Zero. One, two, three. Your winner and still NXT UK Women's Champion, Tony Storm. This was actually a really, really good match. Um, I love this match. I love me some Nina Samuels. I love me some Tony Storm. So it was inevitable to see Nina Samuels get the shot against Tony Storm. At this point, I'm not exactly sure. Who will be next in line for Tony Storm's championship? We've already had Ginny. Well, think of it this way. We've already had the rematch with Rhea. We've seen Ginny. We've now seen Nina. At this point, it's open for, for anyone. Um, you could have Zaya. You could have Isla. You could have Jazzy. Kaylee Ray is definitely uh, coming for the championship. I think Kaylee Ray might be next. I think Kaylee Ray might be the next in line to get a championship shot. Uh, I know the last time we spoke about NXT UK, Kaylee Ray definitely looks like she was gunning for the NXT UK Women's Championship. I think Kaylee Ray might be the next woman to face Tony. It wouldn't shock me if she was next in line. Now, will she be the one to take the title off of Tony? That remains to be seen. But it would not surprise me if Kaylee Ray versus Tony Storm was the next one, next match for the NXT UK Women's Championship. Other than that, this was a really good night for NXT UK. I mean, we have now Imperium has now been formed. Imperium versus British Strong Style. You know, in two weeks' time, we're going to be getting the UK Championship Contenders Fatal Four Way. That's going to be dope. Ilya Dragunov, Joseph Connors in the future in the future matchup. Rhea Ripley versus Piper Niven. Isla versus Anzaya versus Ginny and Jazzy is going to be an interesting one. 
Gallus continuing to, you know, move their matchup, you know, move themselves up. Oh no, Gallagher Gallagher was a really good match. I'm telling I'm telling you. It's it's really everything's shaping up for NXT UK to be really good going forward. I think, and I'm seeing what I'm seeing uh, from the chair shot, and this is a little this is from uh their website. The NXT UK Women's Championship main event was great. For it being as short as it was, Nina showed that she can go at that pace, which I was happily surprised to see. But naturally, Tony retains for someone bigger and better to take that title someday. Of course. WWE's YouTube plugs Kaylee Ray watching backstage immediately after the episode. So it sounds like she'll be giving it a go. I really hope for all this KLR build, she and Tony tear it up at an NXT UK takeover. I really hope we get another of those so that we can get everything sorted out at once and have all the levels of the roster start fresh from there. I'm telling you, Kaylee Ray is up next. It's Kaylee Ray, Tony Storm, two big names in the world of UK in the UK wrestling scene. Kaylee Ray, of course, the current ICW Women's Champion. Telling you, that is going to be your money matchup for the women's division going forward. With everyone, with of course Rhea versus Piper, we have the Zaya Isla duo taking on um, Ginny and Jazzy. This is going to be a fun couple of weeks for NXT UK. That is your NXT UK review. We're going to take a short break and then we're going to come back to close out the show and get you prepared for episode 76 of the Young Lions Perspective. We'll be right back. That's going to be it for episode 75 of the Young Lions Perspective. As always, I want to thank you guys so much for taking time out of your day, your night, your afternoon, your evening, wherever you may be, wherever you are in the world. Thank you guys so much for checking out this episode of the podcast. You, y'all know, y'all really know, I truly appreciate every single one of y'all for checking out the episode. If you enjoyed this episode, do not hesitate to tell a friend to tell a friend about the Young Lions Perspective. Share this episode across all of your social media, your Instagram, your Facebook, your Twitter, your Tumblr, your your Tinder, your LinkedIn. I don't care what you got. Share this episode across all of your social media and let the people know that the Young Lions Perspective is your alternative for professional wrestling podcasts and that we are here to stay. Now, if you enjoy this episode and you want to listen to this episode again or any of the other 74 episodes of the Young Lions Perspective, including two episodes of the Outside the Ropes podcast and three episodes from the Secret Files, but you don't happen to have the Anchor app, Relax, no worries, I got you. You can find this episode and any of the other episodes across nine different platforms, including the Anchor app, and of course, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and of course, that good old Spotify fam. Search for the Young Lions Perspective across any of those platforms and you should have no problem finding it whatsoever. If you want to stay up to date with everything that's going on with the Young Lions Perspective, you can follow me on Twitter at Suede Senator WWI. I do live tweeting for SmackDown Live because Raw ain't fucking worth it anymore. NXT, NXT UK, AEW. Yes, I said AEW. Every WWE live pay-per-view. And if I do have the time and I have nothing else better to do, I do live tweeting for New Japan pay-per-views as well. And y'all know Dominion is coming up next weekend well actually no not this weekend 
next weekend. So I may be doing some live tweeting with that, or I may just be checking it out, and I will be doing a review on that as well. You can follow me on Twitter to see all my live tweets and what I think about the product as well during those nights. Also, on Instagram, the mothership of everything that is is YLP Podcast. Follow me on Instagram at young underscore lions underscore perspective. Follow me on both of those platforms to stay up to date with everything that's going on with the podcast in and of itself or any news that may come my way. And I want to share you share with you guys about it. Episode 76 will be coming your way this Monday. Y'all know this Saturday night is NXT TakeOver 25. And y'all know what that means with every pay-per-view that goes down. We will be doing the good, the bad, and the ugly that was NXT TakeOver 25 until Monday for episode 76. Enjoy the rest of your day. I hope you guys have a great weekend. We will talk again soon. So until next time, guys, see you.